Wasn't that a great song? Man, I think that's going to become part of our, our repertoire, Scott. Thank you so much. And also, how wonderful Andrew's uh, testimony. I don't know about you guys, but I am feeling a new um, excitement in my spirit about um, evangelism and being more bold. One of the great gifts, maybe the greatest gift of getting older, is you start to not care what people think. <laughs> Hallelujah. You just don't care. So um, a, lot of thing, a lot of other things about getting old aren't so great, but, but that's one thing that is very great. So let's have a, a prayer. I really know that we're on the Lord's track this morning. Everything is seamlessly coming together. So, Father, we give you glory and honor and praise. As we look into your word right now, we pray that it would be crystal clear, your message to us. We pray that you would stir up evangelism in our hearts, that we wouldn't be motivated by guilt or... Uh, unhealthy sense of inadequacy, but you would change all that and just release us into your uh, divine excitement about seeing unsaved people come to Christ. Um, so we're asking you, Lord, as a, as a body, that just like Scott's congregation, we would see more and more come to Christ, more and more baptisms. Um, we pray for the, the unsaved loved ones in our families, those that are backslidden and um, don't see any need for you. We know you're a miracle-working God, so help us not to lose heart. Uh, and we, again, ask for your divine anointing on your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you have seen the, the new movie, uh, The Jesus Revolution? Uh, okay, we have some saints, we have some sinners. Um, it's funny how that movie, Laura and I took three of our grandkids to it, and uh, boy, it just touched us all. Even, even my 10-year-old grandson just loved the movie. Uh, reminded me so much of TCF uh, and how TCF started. But for some reason, I want to reference one scene where uh, uh, Lonnie, the, the lead character, uh, is passing out tracks on the beach, and he, he comes up to a group of Buddhist uh, pr uh, monks in their Buddhist garb and you know, just in a very winsome way, he says, he hands him a track and says, I really like your outfit. And uh, that's kind of the way I want to be. You know, I want to be winsome. I want to be happy. I want to be uh, just a little bit inappropriate sometimes and, and uh, see people come to Christ. So um, let's have, uh, do I hit this for the first? There it is. We're going to look at a passage uh, this morning that um, really uh, does not refer to evangelism in its original intent, 
intent. And so those of you who are Bible scholars, please don't freak out that I'm proof texting. Um, I think the way that I apply these verses, you'll agree with as we go on. We're going to see that there are three uh, interpretations to this passage in general. Um, But then we're going to overlay it these wise principles that are in these verses, we're going to overlay it and apply it to evangelism. And I think it'll be a blessing to you. So let's take a look at uh, this passage. This is Ecclesiastes uh, 11, 1 through 6. It says this, Cast your bread on the surface of the waters, for you will find it after many days. Divide your portion to seven or even to eight, for you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. If the clouds are full, they pour out rain upon the earth, and whether a tree falls toward the south or toward the north, wherever the tree falls, there it lies. He who watches the wind will not sow, and he who looks at the clouds will not reap. Just as you do not know the path of the wind, or how bones are formed in the womb of the pregnant woman, so you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. Sow your seed in the morning, and do not be idle in the evening, for you do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed, or whether both of them alike will be good. Father, again, we ask you to anoint your word. Thank you that it's living and active uh, in the name of Jesus. So as a way of getting started, let's review just briefly the whole book, not the whole book, but I mean the message of the book of Ecclesiastes. Most of us think of the phrase vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Solomon was the wisest, richest, and most influential king in Israel's history. And he wrote this phrase 19 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. He meticulously explored power, popularity, prestige, and pleasure to to their fullest extent. And his conclusion was that um, as ends in themselves, these things are futile, they are meaningless, and they are empty. He uses the phrase, under the sun. These things are under the sun and completely um, empty. He uses that phrase, under the sun, 29 times. His conclusion is that happiness can only be found in God himself. Amen? Amen? Isn't it great hearing from the wisest man, perhaps in the world, that happiness can be found only in God himself, living for God, enjoying our labor, enjoying our families, even in the face of uncertainty and misfortune. This is the gift of God, he says. And here's how he says it. There's nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. And the conclusion is this, fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person. He also concludes that wisdom is our most powerful resource. Wisdom is our most powerful human resource, and that in the face of life's uncertainties, 
uh, living uh, and seeking wisdom is a good thing. And then in chapters 7 through 12, he devotes uh, these um, scriptures to living wisely in all areas of life. And so in the midst of these exhortations of living wisely, we come upon our text, cast your bread upon the waters. And uh, so now we're going to look at the three usual interpretations of this passage. The first is um, reflected in the NIV version and the NLT version, uh, and it's about finances. It's about commerce. The, the, the thinking is, is that Solomon, despite saying that amassing wealth is futile in chapter 5, he does say that uh, in chapters 11 that if you're going to do business and you want to prosper, uh, here's some principles. And so in these versions of your Bibles, you read this, ship your grain across the sea. After many days, you, you may receive a return. Invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come. So you can almost picture a, uh, a, uh, uh, an owner of ships sending out many ships in many directions, knowing that some ships will be lost at sea, but some will bring back a reward. In the NLT, it says, send your grain across the seas, and in time, profits will flow. Now, a second interpretation is more about spreading your goodness, spreading whatever good you have um, around instead of about finances. And so in the CEV version, the ERV version, CEV stands for Contemporary English Version. The ERV stands for the Easy to Read Version. You read this, be generous and someday you will be rewarded. Or in the ERV, do good wherever you go. After a while, the good you do will come back to you. Isn't that interesting? And then a third interpretation focuses not on differences about the bread, what is the bread, like the first two. It focuses on what, is, what does Solomon mean by water? And we see that it's about giving generously to the poor, though it may seem like a waste of money or resources. So you see here Matthew Henry, he writes this is a pressing exhortation to works of charity and bounty to who? To the poor, as the best cure for the vanity of riches. And then um, Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown, which is a, uh, a well-reputed, uh, a good commentary, they write, uh, water expresses multitudes, as in Revelation 17, 15, the angel said to me, the waters which you sow where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes. Isn't that interesting? And again, this commentator says to the seeming, so give to the seemingly hopeless character of the recipients. Have you ever had that thought when someone has approached you for money and um, they look so hopeless sometimes. And, and maybe 
and maybe you're torn. Should I give? Should I not give? You know, Jesus said, give to those who asks of you. And yet it, it seems so irresponsible. It seems like it'll probably be wasted. And so we have all these conflicting thoughts. And Jameson uh, Brown, Fawcett and Brown uh, highlight that in their remarks. Well, I looked up the uh, Hebrew word for bread, and um, it's uh, lechem, lechem. Don't you like how I'm saying that? I, I listened to that uh, several times. Uh, but in general, it means bread, food, meat, grain, seed, or our provision, our portion. Um, and again, Jameson Fawcett Brown say the probable image, imagery here is that um, people used to go out on the Nile River when it was flooded, and they would cast seed into the water, knowing that the waters would recede, uh, and then the seeds could take root in the alluvial plain, uh, the moist ground there. And uh, that, that's the imagery that Solomon may be uh, alluding to. But I would like to... Uh, sort of do this uh, or, or read these verses again with uh, sort of the, what I believe is the overall meaning there, trying not to add anything, uh, but, but to really capture what Solomon was saying. So uh, verse one might go like, disperse your resources broadly. Though it may seem wasteful at times, you will be rewarded. Verse 2, disperse um, your resources. Uh, I'm having trouble reading my own slide. Diversify the way you spread your resources, knowing some investments will be lost. A third one is much of life is unpredictable and outside our control. Verse four, uh, avoid analysis paralysis because circumstances are never going to be perfect. Verse five is we cannot predict or fathom how God will use the seed we sow. And verse 6, our job is to keep sowing seed relentlessly and trust uh, the activity of God to bear fruit the way he sees fit. So uh, I hope that's helpful. Um, and now what I would like to do is apply these verses to evangelism because these are wise principles, aren't they? There's no reason we can't say, um, what about evangelism? Um, this message really was birthed back during our missions conference when Randy Harrison was here. I don't know how many of you were here Friday night or remember his message, but he said the title of his message was In It to Win It. And he pointed out that that's different than the message In It to win. And I realized that as a counselor and a discipler, that's really what I've been uh, focused on in my ministry. I, I'm, I'm not 
I don't do evangelism easily. It doesn't come to me easily. Um, and really the, the burden, maybe the calling of my life, I think has been to help people live the Christian life successfully. And that's a worthy goal. Uh, I'm not putting that down at all. But Randy pointed out that the scriptures uh, and the, the real gospel message is not about living successfully as a Christian as much as it is about winning the world for Christ. That made such an impact on me. And so since that time, I've been praying and thinking about evangelism. Now, let me say again, just to be clear, Solomon wasn't thinking of evangelism when he wrote these verses. Nevertheless, the, the, the wisdom of these verses apply. So I've been praying about upping my game. How do I, how do I creatively and unique to Jim Grinnell and, um, and yet not making excuses, how do I uh, not living under this burden of guilt and a sense of weakness and ungodly inadequacy. I mean, there is a godly, in, there is a godly sense of inadequacy, right? But I don't want that, that inadequacy that comes from the enemy and just stifles me or my own insecurities. So I've been praying about all of this and asking the Lord things and I was out golfing with my buddy Jim Price, and I said, Jim, I've, I've been thinking a lot about evangelism. What, what about you? And he said, well, it's interesting you say that because um, at, at Believer's Church, uh, where they attend now, they, they had just uh, had a message in February by Keith Wheeler. Now, most of you know Keith Wheeler, but for those of you who don't, Keith Wheeler is a, a local... Um, a uh, wonderful man who has carried across, and I think over 200 countries of the world. Um, he's, he says that he is very much an introvert by nature, but, but God has uh, called him to be an evangelist, and so um, he's just been a tremendous witness for Christ all over the world and here at home as well. Uh, Jim said, why don't, you, why don't you look up his message and listen to it? So I did. And here, are, here were some of his key points. He, he started his ministry by going to the bars uh, late at night. He said, go where the people are. And then uh, a second thing that caught my attention is he said, he views unsaved loved ones, uh, excuse me, unsaved people as what he called kidnapped royalty kidnapped royalty. And he told stories about, you know, awkwardly witnessing to people and getting spit on and, and, and yet later the same guy, he and the same guy would talk all night long and watch the sunrise together. You know, stories like that. He said he, when he was first starting, he felt so awkward that he just fell on his face in his prayer room and, and said, oh, God, I need more of you, more of you, more of you, Lord. And God spoke to him and said, no, you, you don't need more of me. I need all of you. Uh, pretty cool, huh? And then he went on to say, evangelism is simply the overflow of a life lived with Jesus. 
He said, more than sharing a message, we, we share a person, Jesus Christ himself. Um, and so as we look again at our text, this is what I want to say this morning. This is the, the big line to me. Folks, our bread is Jesus. Our bread is Christ himself. He said, I am the bread of life. He said, I'm the living bread that came down out of heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. In Psalm 16:5, David said, the Lord is my bread. He actually used the word my portion, but um, it's much the same thing. To, to Moses, the Lord said, what is it you have in your hand? Of course, for Moses at that time, it was a staff. But if God were to ask us, what do you have in your hand? We would say, what we have is Jesus. What we have is, is the Lord God. And then you remember when Peter and John were at the gate beautiful in front of the temple and the man was asking for alms and Peter said to the man, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I you in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. Stand up and walk. What we have in our hands, you guys, is and in our hearts is the true and living bread that we can cast and give. It's Jesus Christ himself, the light of the world. Hallelujah, the living bread of life. Now, I want to read through some scriptures here. And before I forget, I made up about 25 copies here. So if you want to just have these scriptures after the service, just grab a, a copy. But as we read through these, um, just push away that sense of I'm not doing it well enough or I'm so weak in this area or I feel guilty. Push all that aside because what I want you to see is how many of these verses are saying we've already got it. We've already got what we need. Um, and I found that very encouraging. Um, so 2 Timothy 4.5 says, But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Acts 1.8, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and as far as the ends of the earth. Matthew 5, 13 through 16, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. 1 Peter three fifteen. sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, but with gentleness and respect. 1 Peter 2.9, this is a favorite one of mine, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you 
out of darkness into his marvelous light. I love that line in Scott's song about Christ be magnified in me. 2 Corinthians 5, 19, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You know, when I'm trying to share Christ with an unsaved loved one, I often um, beat myself up afterwards thinking of how I could have said it better. Or, oh gosh, that was so imperfect, Jim. So beneath what you're capable of. You know, just all these condemning thoughts. And I just decided I'm done with those. I don't have to be perfect. You know, God is the only perfect one. And who knows how he's going to use what I say. My job is just to keep casting seed and being obedient in the moment. That's your job, too. Isn't it great we don't have to be perfect? Oh, my gosh, thank you. That's, I should sit down right now. Okay, a few more. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who is wise wins souls. That's Proverbs 11.30. 2 Corinthians 3, 5, and 6. For our adequacy is from God, I love that, who has made us already adequate, competent ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter but of the Spirit, for the letter kills but the Spirit gives life. Matthew 4.19, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I love how the people that celebrate recovery start their meeting by saying, I'm a grateful follower of Jesus Christ, and I will make you fishers of men. And then the last one, uh, 2 Corinthians 2.15, for we are to God, to God, the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. I've always read that verse as I'm, if, if the person is, going, is a follower of Christ or going to be a follower of Christ, that I'm a pleasing aroma to them. But I notice this time, for we are to God a pleasing aroma. How, how much even more powerful that is. So, with this evangelistic overlay, we see in verse 2 that we are to expand, uh, diversify our evangelistic efforts, um, knowing that some investments will be lost. In verse 3, um, we see that much of life's unpredictable and beyond our control. I had uh, two men working at my house, a carpenter and his son-in-law. The carpenter was, I would say, in his late 40s, and the son-in-law was probably, you know, early 30s, 30-ish. And the son-in-law, Joe, um, I just had a burden for him. He, he didn't talk much. He was pretty skinny had this deep, gravelly voice, so I would tease him that he needed to be a country, country western singer because he had such a, oh, you know, great voice. But, um, you know, I was telling Joe and, and Mike that, that Jesus loved them and uh, exhorting them to follow him and uh, to love him. Uh, but one day they didn't come to work 
And uh, turns out that, and I knew Joe was an alcoholic. Uh, turned out that he'd got some infection in his body, refused to go to the doctor, and he just died. And uh, so, you know, how true that verse is in Ephesians. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So in verse 3, we see that calamity, misfortune happens. Uh, we don't get, tomorrow is not guaranteed for any of us. Uh, I'm planning to outlive Laura and see her into glory, and that will be a great privilege, but it's not guaranteed. Uh, uh, so calamities can happen. In verse 4, we read, to ignore adverse circumstances, not waiting until we feel led or have the perfect words. Um, verse 5, we cannot predict uh, which seed God will use and how we will use it. So um, let's just cast seed everywhere and let, and let God do what he's going to do. And that's our job in verse 6 is to relentlessly share Jesus with others day and night because we don't know what will bear fruit. Amen? All right, so we're going we're gonna to wind up with some practical ideas just to spur your thinking. Um, so one thing you could do is you could pray about creative ways to pray for the lost and also to reach out to the lost. For example, I thought of, of this example. Um, in my Bible, there's a particular family member that I'm praying for daily, and uh, I came up with all these adverbs to, to kind of try to wear God down and get him to, to, to lead my, my loved one to the Lord. So what I do is I say, oh, Lord, uh, would he be overwhelmed? Would he be invaded? Would he be captured? Would he be hemmed in by your spirit? Would he be separated unto you? Would he be quickened, Lord, awakened, delivered, set free, filled, raised up, saved, redeemed, transformed? Would you apprehend him, Lord? Would he be renewed? Would he be regenerated? Would he be washed, cleansed, forgiven? Would you open his eyes? Would he be enlightened and seized? Would he be drawn by you? Would he be shined upon? Would he be gifted with repentance? Would he be immersed? Would he want to believe? And would I have the joy of baptizing him? Now, I don't think God really needs all those adverbs from me, but it excites me. It keeps me going in faith, praying for him. A second idea is you can use your technology. I think Gordon is a really good example of this. Uh, Gordon, you're forever texting scriptures to people and encouraging people uh, to, to look to Jesus for everything. I love David Turner, uh, his answering machine. I think I've said this to you before. You know, he says, hello, this is David um, uh, something, I don't know, sorry I missed you, uh, please leave your number after the beep, but then there's this lion that comes out and he says, and remember, Jesus is Lord, 
<laughs> he said, oh yeah, I said, David, I love that. And he said, oh yeah, I got that from Kenneth Copeland. Uh, um, a third way is prayerfully consider how you can position yourself to be salt and light. How can you go where the people are? And um, a good example of this, I think, in our body is Diane and Chuck um, Shepherd. You know, they, they work at MEND. They work uh, with the international students. Uh, Diane takes them uh, on, on uh, sort of like historical trips to things in Oklahoma. She just positions herself really, really well to be salt and light. And so that's what I mean by position yourself. Go to where the people are, like Keith Wheeler said. And then number four, I was thinking, Lord, what about using other gifts that I have or that I'm passionate about and somehow leveraging that to do more effective evangelism? And um, I thought of Jim Garrett uh, doing what he loves out in the park, playing clarinet, and people are just drawn, and then he gets to share Christ with them. Or at the gym, he had that fellow that uh, took a shining to him and eventually came to Christ. And I think, Jim, you even did his funeral, didn't you? Yeah. Praise God. Another thing you could do is start an evangelistic Bible study. In other words, get two or three Christian friends together, start a Bible study, and then pray about who should we invite uh, to come and be a part with us who doesn't know the Lord. Because I'm, I'm mindful of that verse that says, um, without faith, uh, no, uh, blah, blah, come on, what? faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Sometimes just giving our testimony or, or something is not enough we need to get people in front of the Word, and it's the Word that draws them to the Lord. Um, maybe you're already a part of a Bible study, and all you have to do is start inviting one or two unsafe friends. Another idea is join a club. Uh, for example, maybe a weight loss club if you need that, but you could have a dual purpose um, in mind. I'm going to join this new club or this cycling club or this golf club, uh, and, uh, and um, you know, with a dual purpose in mind. You could carry a supply of tracks in your car. I have several gusties in my car, and just last week I was stopping at the best donut shop in Tulsa. They have the best apple fritters. I'm not going to tell you where it is. Uh, because I know you're watching your waistline. But, um, but there was a, a woman outside uh, looking cold and forlorn, and sure enough, when I came out, she asked for some money, so I was able to give her a gusty at least. Um, um, I wish I'd actually slowed down a little bit more. You know, that's a big key, is you've got to be willing to slow down and listen to the person and then love them and try to show them Jesus as best you can. And that's probably one of my biggest faults is I don't want to slow down. I got my agenda and uh, 
heaven help the person who gets in my way. But um, another one is help out an already existing evangelistic ministry. For example, the Good News Club. Or in this case, another example would be Andrew attaching himself to this ministry and going to Padre Island and having a wonderful time. Another one would be invite unsaved friends to church. Now I'm going to tell you a really cool story. I hope you're not getting tired. Um, So I went to a men's prayer breakfast a couple Saturdays ago, and there was an 82-year-old man, I won't say his name, who was one of the speakers, and he's a, a very, very wealthy oil and gas guy in Oklahoma. And he told this story that when he was 20, 20 years old, he got married and moved to a small town in Wyoming, 1,400 people. And his job was at the oil rigs or whatever was like 130 miles away. So there wasn't house, much housing in that town. So his wife, his poor new wife, was down in the basement of another residence, um, not knowing anybody, no car, uh, while he drove 130 miles you know, one way to work. Um, but he went on to say that she, she, she became ill and uh, was very sick. Her illness, he didn't say what it was, but he said that if she didn't have um, four shots a day of, of a painkiller, she was in excruciating pain. And she died two years later when he was 22. Uh, but in the midst of that illness, he went to a church pleading for help because he only made 1000 a month, and her medicine cost 1200 a month. And so there was no way, you know, no way. Um, and unfortunately, this church believed that suffering was because of sin in your life. And so after he poured out his heart, to this church and said, I need your help, they basically started in on him that it was because of sin in his life. And he told them to go to hell, and he walked out. And he, you know, he vowed, I will never, never uh, look to God for anything ever again. I am uh, done with God, and uh, I'm just going to make money. And so... His life went on, and about four years later, when he was 26, he married again. But this woman said, uh, if you're going to marry me, you're going to go to church. And so he went to church, but he he didn't like it. He wasn't there. And there was this guy there named Clyde, and uh, he didn't like Clyde either. But Clyde said, invited him on a a missions trip. He said... uh, I want to go down to Ecuador. There's a missionary there, um, Nate Saint's sister, Rachel, is sick, and I want to go down there and, and help her out. And he's, you know, he didn't like Clyde. He didn't like the Lord. He didn't like being in church. So he said, no, I'm not going. Uh, talk to you later. And, and so when he got in the car, his wife said, well, you know, what did Clyde want? He said, well, he wanted me to go to Ecuador, and I'm not going. Well, his wife just kept pestering him about it and asking, are, you know, are you thinking about it? Are you praying about it? He said, he just got madder and madder, and he said, no, no, woman. I told you I'm not going. Just stop it. 
stop it. Well, it went on like this till the Wednesday night service, and he went there, and, and again, in the car, bef just before he gets out, he's mad because she keeps asking him, and no, I'm not going. Well, then he sees, he's walking up to the door of the church, and he sees Clyde standing there, and Clyde says, uh, yeah, have you, have you thought about my, uh, my invitation? And he said, yeah, I'm going. And he didn't, you know, surprised him as much as anybody. So the next thing he knows, he's traveling down this river in Ecuador, Ecuador with three of the guys who killed Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, and they gather on the beach right where these men were killed, and they hold hands and they pray. And he said, one of the few times the Lord spoke to me he said, if I can save these guys, I can save you. And he gave his life to Christ. I don't know if he did it right then, but, you know, just, oh, gosh. So invite somebody to church or invite them on a missions trip, you know. A <laughs> uh, couple more. You can develop some attractive or salty questions like, I like the miracle question, like with a waitress or someone who's serving you, you know, one, one, uh, even Keith Wheeler is not above having a couple of prepared uh, questions or games. He actually plays a game with his cross where when he checks it, they'll, the ticket agent will say, what's that? And he'll say, well, I'll give you three guesses. And, uh, Nobody's ever guessed it, and if you guess it, I'll give you $20. And he, he builds curiosity. Uh, and, uh, but I like the miracle question. It was, you know, uh, you've been so good to us. Um, you know, my friends and I, we like to pray for people. Uh, do you need a miracle in your life? Just about everybody needs a miracle. Um, and then see what, where it goes from there. Uh, number 11, you can serve your neighbors in practical ways. And number 12, uh, this one was something that Chuck Farah taught, is bring up the Lord within 15 minutes in a conversation. Just challenge yourself to, if nothing else, just say, God's been so good to me. You know, just a little bit of salt, a little bit of light. So what's being asked of us this morning I think God is saying to not rest our hands. In verse 6 where it says, uh, and do not be idle, that phrase means don't let your hands rest. Isn't that interesting? Don't let down your hand. Hold your hand up. Keep casting the bread of life generously. Let your light shine before all men. And then secondly, I think the Lord is saying, expand your evangelistic portfolio. Seek God about how to increase and diversify our evangelistic efforts. And then finally, trust in the activity of God. He will draw people to himself as we glorify him before men. You know, last week, Bill uh, preached. I, I, it it made my mouth drop open. He preached on uh, uh, drawn to the bread of, of life. 
And this, I knew I was speaking on drawing others to the bread of life this morning. So I, I think we've really heard from the Lord this morning. Let's stand together and pray that God will enable us to do these things. Father, I know that my brothers and sisters here at TCF are with me wholeheartedly in hearing your message to us on uh, expanding our abilities, our efforts. So first of all, Lord, we pray for boldness in sharing the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you would give us evangelistic eyes, that we could see what you're doing, that we would have the strength, the discipline to slow down and to really see what you're doing or try to see what you're doing and then to love the person we're dealing with and to try to let you shine in that moment, bring you our bread into that very moment. Um, so we pray for boldness, Lord, and then we pray for creativity. Uh, I pray that those of us who struggle with it, uh, an, un, an unholy sense of inadequacy or weakness or fear, all that would be gone. And we would see this as a tremendous, exciting blessing and privilege to share you with others. Uh, we pray that we would endure hardship, that we would um, be willing to not look at the circumstances, but to just continue to sow and share Jesus wherever we go. So we ask, Lord, that it would be a new day, a new day for us in terms of opening ourselves to all the possibilities of your Holy Spirit leading and guiding us. Uh, put this in our hearts, Lord, to seek you, to seek you for uh, creative ways to share. And we give you all the glory and all the praise, and we trust the activity of God that is unpredictable and beyond what we can fathom. In Jesus' name, thank you for your word. Amen.